Welcome to DT Madness, Chronicles from the Third Life, Episode 3, April 15th, 2022. So glad you could make it. Well, today's episode is an open letter to my son, who is on his way to college this fall with plans of becoming a teacher. In fact, uh, becoming an elementary school teacher. Um, And so I thought I would uh, spend this episode talking about teaching uh, because that's my profession as well. The episode, the, the podcast is called DT Madness. And a lot of that comes from March Madness, of course. And one of the things that we like to do is fill out brackets in our family. Jason Isbell songs is a recent one, but wow! If you if you had challenging scripture from from the Bible, if you had challenging scripture bracket, then I think this one from Matthew would be in the final four. Where when you're when you're helping other people out, the writer says, "Don't let your right hand know." Jesus says, "Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing." And wow, that is tough. That has got to be, if not the most, definitely in the final four of, of the most challenging scriptures. Because we, we like to, you know, we like to be recognized. We like for other people to know that we're doing well, even when our intentions are really good. I mean, I guess especially when our intentions are really good. But that's, uh, that's the teaching life, you know, extrinsic rewards. Uh, recognitions, immediate gratification. Those things will happen once in a while. You'll get your your recognitions. Um, those kinds of things will come. You know, the light bulb, you'll see it go off on the kids, in the kid's head once in a while that they're understanding stuff. But most of the time it isn't that way. And in fact, I, I tell people it's, it's why I'm that guy. I'm the old guy in a tank top with his N95 mask on in the driveway blowing off the pollen or the leaves in the fall because they're there in the driveway. And then after a few minutes, they're gone. I can, I get that fulfillment or I got a new rug in my classroom and I like to vacuum it. And for the same reason, I tell the students that I'm like, look, this is immediate gratification that I don't get. I even had a cleaning service. I love cleaning the house for the same reason. It's, it's dirty. And then I do something and now it's clean. Um, yeah. DT's cleaning service is not for hire anymore. Um, but those extrinsic rewards and immediate gratification, those things are, they're limited. But what we do is planting sequoias. And I take that phrase from, uh, a poem by Wendell Berry. It's, it's my favorite poem. Uh, in fact, it will show up in next week's episode when I talk about the symbols and practices of DT madness. Uh, so there's your little teaser. Um, I even have the sequoia cone tattooed on my arm but that's what we do because we we don't get to see the fruit of what we do on a day in and day out basis very often it's not a common thing anyway uh, my career I've I'm in my 19th year of teaching almost two full decades Um, I've taught all the classes I'm a social studies teacher uh, so world history you know U.S. history I teach African-American history I teach civics and AP government, and I taught myself 19 years ago when our um, 
AP psychology teacher got engaged and moved away mid-year. I taught myself psychology and have been teaching AP psych successfully for uh, 17 or 18 of those years. I've had some really hard classes. Those ones that are at the end of the day are the most challenging because then you take that home with you, especially when you're a younger teacher. Um, it's hard to it's hard to separate that emotion. I, I, I might would argue that you shouldn't separate that emotion. Um, we'll get into that later. But I've had some really hard classes, but you know, I've had some unforgettable moments and certainly some students that I don't forget uh, that I still uh, keep in contact with all these years later. I've been a teacher for two decades, but you know, I've been a leader for, for most of my life. Um, even back to middle school, but, but through high school. And uh, as I mentioned in my first episode of this podcast, I was the pledge class president for Sigma Phi Epsilon, even though that didn't all the way work out, but I've been a leader most of my life, but it's, it's taken me almost these 20 years to begin to feel like I'm actually learning what it means to be a teacher, to be a great teacher. And so I've learned a lot along the way. And I, I suppose that's an important lesson in its own right. But anyway, three three parts. Um, I like threes. And so this is a reflection maybe on my own career, but also uh, some advice, some uh, some words of wisdom, perhaps, to my son and to anyone else thinking about going into to education. So part one is the longest part by far, uh, and that is just the teaching part. First of all, I would say that it's important to have a passion for content. Um, I get worked up. I got really worked up this year talking about the Supreme Court politics all the way back to, you know, Merrick Garland and Barack Obama all the way through the current uh, appointees, and I get worked up talking about Martin Luther King walking with Stokely Carmichael. Just as an aside, I mean, you know, CRT or whatever are the buzzwords these days, you don't need any of that, like the mainstream um, history of uh, the treatment of minorities, African Americans in particular, but, but many minorities is eye-opening enough in itself and stuff that we should wrestle with. But I digress maybe um but that content gets me it gets me fired up thinking about group polarization when i'm teaching ap psychology or confirmation bias and how much that applies to our ourselves our society right now you can see it everywhere and so that passion for the content if you display that passion for the content if you're teaching elementary school whether it's it's phonics or you know, science or whatever it is that you get to teach those kids, that passion will, it'll transmit to them. They'll, they'll sense it. But beyond just the content itself, a passion for learning. I hope that you will display that to your kids. And I hope that you will continue to learn, that you will continue to read. I, I, I found that once you get out of school and college and they, uh, once you get away from them telling you what, they, what you have to read, um, it becomes a lot more enjoyable um, when you get to pick your own your own path, your own words. But continue to read and read widely and a bunch of different authors and immerse yourself in cultural experiences. Travel, travel around, you know, at least around the country, if not around the world when you can. Um, that passion for learning will uh, be so valuable to you, but also your students will pick up on it. The content is foundational. 
You know, I'm not talking about just rote learning, not just memorization, but you know what? Memorization gets a bad rap, I think. It has its place. It's a part of the foundation. It's a part of the pyramid. You've got to be able to memorize facts and, and data and whatever, you know, to, to build on. But, but, you know, words and concepts and ideas, those things matter. And so the content is important. They're building blocks. The vocabulary that we learn helps us to think in ways that we couldn't otherwise. It stretches our capacity, you know. It stretches our capacity to learn more broadly and with more depth. Methods, you know, the way that you teach, the styles that you use, vary them. Vary them, I should say. You know, don't just do direct instruction all the time. Although, again, direct instruction isn't as uh, terrible as many would make it out to be. There's a time and a place for it, and uh, it's very effective. But but try new ways. Learn new ways from your colleagues. Learn new ways from professional development. Get out of your zone some because you know your preferred learning style isn't always the preferred learning style that's common in your classroom. For me, I love for someone to just sit and talk. Uh, that's why I can do this kind of thing. But that's not best for every student, especially now in our day of attention spans that maybe are seven seconds, if if we're lucky. Um, structure, you know, are you going to be structured? Are you going to be, uh, how tight are you going to run your classroom? What types of of, of classroom management strategies are you going to have? The, the traditional saying is don't smile until Christmas. I've always disagreed with that. Um, it is difficult to tighten up for sure, uh, but I tend to offer respect to my students and give them a chance to, I, I, they can't lose my respect. That's not a real thing for me. Um, if I need to tighten up, I can tighten up. I, I, I suppose that doesn't work for everybody. And so whatever is your structure, have it, don't have it, find your zone. Because, you know, the other side of the coin, I, I did say earlier that not everybody has the same learning style. And so you have to vary your own methods. But you are going to find your comfort zone. You are going to find the best methods and style and structure for yourself. And that's going to be your sweet spot. And so, you know, part of the responsibility of the learner is also to be able to learn from a variety of instructional ways. It's uh, Maybe we take too much of that responsibility away from the student uh, these days by expecting teachers to uh, be able to communicate in all these various ways, but not expect students to be as flexible anyway. Um, technology and, wow, I mean, who knows? You'll be teaching maybe in five years from now. If you go through the prog program that you're, you're planning to go through at App State, but what will the technology be like in five years? Who knows? It certainly will have its benefits. It will certainly allow you to pinpoint instruction. It will allow you to facilitate um, a variety of ways to keep students engaged, but it certainly has its challenges. Um, I'm a 44-year-old man who picks up my phone way too many times a day. Uh, I'm so distracted and I get caught in this 
whatever this loop is, this addictive loop of social media and, and the distractions of technology. And so that's going to be a real thing. There are always benefits and challenges to technology. Um, but that feedback that you get from the technology, the, the data that you get is really, really helpful in providing feedback because it's, it's, you know, I mean, well, you know, it's computers, it calculates things for you. It can use algorithms and it doesn't mess up. And so the numbers that it's able to generate just speed up the process for the way that you're able to provide feedback and feedback is so important, uh, no matter what level you're teaching. But you know what? Feedback has to be on a human level as well. It takes time, you know, it takes time to learn your students, both as a whole and individually. Classrooms have a, they've got a corporate identity and then you got to find the individuals within that and that time and learning of each student kind of finding them within the, the larger group dynamics and finding out what makes them tick and how you're able to communicate with them and what feedback works, works best with them, you know, finding those students individually, it takes a real investment. And then, then you have to dispense that feedback to that individual on a, on an individual basis, kind of weekly, perhaps, maybe even more so if you really want to encourage learning. And I mean, that's, that's a huge drain. It's a huge drain on your mental and physical energy. It's a, it's a real thing, but it's definitely important. And so maybe a way that you can combat that drain is is by using your humor. Um, tell jokes, you know, be, be funny. Uh, even when they're bad jokes, the kids like to laugh at you. And that self-deprecating humor is, it's a good practice. It's a good practice because it, you know, it lets the kids let their guards down some because they can tell that you recognize your own weaknesses, that you're okay with making fun of the fact that, that you've got so many flaws and, you know, maybe that you're the old guy that can't, figure out the technology or whatever it is. Um, I like to just put the word the in front of everything, you know, say the Snapchat or the Instagram or anything like that. And they, they just kind of roll their eyes and it helps them let their guard down and self revelation, revealing who you are. You know, I mean, there are boundaries. Of course there are boundaries. And with, with our world today, you gotta, you gotta respect those boundaries. You've got to like really be careful. Um, of course you should always do that. Um, but, but these kids look to you, they will. And revealing your humanity, revealing your humanity in all its glory, you know, in all its brokenness and, and mostly just in the day to day regular living, it's worth so much to them. I've always said this and I always tell my classes, I always tell the kids in my classes that when I forget what it's like to be them, then I'll quit. You know, I graduated high school 26 years ago now, and I still remember what it was like on that Friday night when we graduated in those green robes. I still remember what it was like to play baseball or to walk to classes and sit in those desks and think that the teachers were weird. You know, I, I still have recollection of that. I still understand what they're going through. 
and that's important. Encourage cross-curricular learning. This one's becoming more and more a thing for me, and and perhaps even its own episode somewhere down the line. Um, I mean, obviously things like you know English class and social studies, those things meld together easily. But I mean, like all the way across, we we got such an unfortunate social divide. Um, I, I believe that kids that excel in CTE classes, you know, shop class, welding, carpentry, etc., the ag classes. I think they would be so well served by taking my AP classes. I, I don't care about the test. Um, I would love for them to pass the test, and many of them could. But I'm talking about the ideas. I'm talking about the thought process, the the poetry of it, the, the perspective of it. And I know for a fact that we should encourage our college prep students to spend more time taking CTE courses. I mean, practically, it just makes all the sense. Whether or not they go into a job as an electrician or a plumber or into construction where they could make a fine living, for sure, even if they don't follow that path, practically, they're still going to save a ton of money by being able to do home improvement projects on their own. You know, they're still going to have at least that sense of pride, that sense of, of completion of being able to work with their own hands to make stuff, to get stuff done. There's a creativity beyond the practicality. You know, there's a creativity in welding or auto mechanics or carpentry or electronics. It's that creativity is just as miraculous as reading Emerson or Hamilton. And crossing these barriers would serve us so well as a society by helping break down those social barriers and seeing the amazing abilities and talents of each other. Speaking of barriers, you will have to deal with the pendulum of politics as long as you're in public education. There's an outcry currently about indoctrination. It goes so far that, I mean, we got even people running for school boards that don't even seem to have very much faith in teachers. They don't seem to have much trust. I, I mean, it's hard to have any kind of debate because many of these political candidates anymore just throw words out there and they just throw initials out there like CRT. We, I've even seen an ad where one person running for school board school board uses for real. Okay, this is not I could I could send you the link. But this person uses Rosa Parks as a model of how we shouldn't be teaching critical race theory. Let that sink in just for a second. Now he goes on to talk about driving the bus, and I don't know how he got Rosa driving the bus, but anyway. Those shouting indoctrination, they're just projecting. They want their own indoctrination. And really, I think what they're afraid of is open and free thought, critical thinking. Teach that. Teach critical thinking. It's the opposite of indoctrination. Teach the kids to think. Well, I'd say it's time for a, a bathroom break is what we'll call it. Especially after talking about all that politics, we definitely need one. And as a teacher, bathroom breaks, they're a real thing. As an elementary school teacher, I think you're going to find that you're going to have to go very, very quickly um, and maybe long stretches at a time. But our bathroom break today, just a couple of questions for you in the middle, not really related at all. 
to teaching, just a little brain break, as we might say in the biz. You know, I haven't eaten uh, red meat in, oh, it's been 15 months or so since 2020. Um, but still, when I drive by Burger King, I know that if I ate it, I would feel terrible. And it's not probably great for you at all, but can anything beat the smell of Burger King? Don't they have the science down to where you smell that? And you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I will get a number five go large. So smells. What about taste, though? Come on now. Isn't honey mustard, I mean, a good honey mustard, it's undefeated, right? Tell me what a better sauce is. I don't think you can. You can hit me at uh, Instagram and let me know. DT Madness. What is it? DT underscore. DT Madness underscore 96. What about the sounds? What's your fave? The constant roar with the with the ripples in the foreground of the river? Or would you rather be by the ocean? I don't mean, you know, the location necessarily. I mean the sound itself. Do you like the constant of the river, the flowing water, or that that ebb and flow, that roar of the waves coming in? What do you think? Let me know. Like I said, once you uh, become a teacher, bathroom breaks are short. So we'll move on to the next couple of parts. Uh, these are not nearly as long. But the first part was was teaching, uh, the teaching part. And the second part is the extras part. Now, I did end the teaching part speaking of politics. And, you know, it's a, it's a real thing. And schools, and in North Carolina at least, uh, school boards have become partisan. You can run, you now run as a Republican or a Democrat. Um, I'm actually the mayor of the small town that I live in, um, but I wouldn't run if it had to be a partisan race. It's a nonpartisan race. Um, I really am unaffiliated, and uh, I think it's done a, a, a great bit of damage to our school process, to our school climate, where those school board races have become partisan. But anyway, um, be an advocate. Be an advocate, however you see fit. Um, join, you know, in North Carolina, we're not, uh, we're a right to work state, so we don't have unions. We don't have teachers unions, and I'm not sure uh, what those are really like. I've never really interacted with the teachers union in another state. I've always been in North Carolina, uh, but you could certainly join NCAE. You could certainly join um, many organizations and advocate for public schools or advocate for students, however you see fit. For me, for most of my time so far, I've just tried to do rather than say too much to show that traditional public education, that traditional public teachers can be top tier. My friend Matt Orth used to talk about people who want to change the world, but they would leave dirty dishes in the sink for their roommates. And he would encourage those people, if you really want to change the world, then, you know, wash your plates, clean your dishes up, do the small things. Because if you can clean your dishes well, then your words and your advocacy, those will carry more weight. Well, anyway, how about that for about six mixed metaphors? But be an advocate and be in leadership when you can. Be on the school improvement team or work for a different organization. I get to be a part of College Board and score AP exams uh, for psychology and 
And that leads to collaboration. Collaborate with your colleagues. Learn from them. Not just in your school, but across the educational field. But the extras I really want to talk about are the ones that the kids are a part of, the extracurricular activities, sports. I mean, sports is so important to so many kids. It's a shame, you know. It's a shame how much parents and culture create so much pressure. And, I mean, it's just a shame. It really is how it it takes the joy out of the game, I think, you know in a lot of cases, but, but even through all that sports is still a huge part of the lives of kids in school to a lot of them. So, you know, show up to their games, even if it's just for an inning, they notice, they notice, do what you can be the announcer for a game or uh, take up tickets or, you know, coach, if you can, any of those types of things that helps you to build better relationships with the kids, but it, but it lets them know that you are, invested that you're in their corner the arts you know go to their concerts go to their concerts when they're freshmen go to the concerts when they're when they're young and they're just learning to play and it's all you can do you know to sit there and stop from cringing you know with the with their tubas or their violins or whatever that are just so horrible to listen to but go to them year after year and listen to them get better and cheer for them listen to them sing you know, listen to them, see them perform, hang up their art pieces in your room proudly. Ask them to draw stuff for you if they're if they're an artist or to make a painting for you. It's meaningful to them. Find out their interests. I, I, I there's an example. You know, I have a, a girl in my class in my civics class where, we, of course, we're talking about government and politics, and I I do my best to not show any of my political cards. That's that's my own view. Most conservative students probably think that I'm liberal, and I would suspect that most liberal students probably think that I'm conservative. If that's the case, then I'm glad because I'm just pushing them to think. That's what I view my role as. But but there's one girl in my class, and and she's a you know outspoken, proud supporter, Trump supporter, you know those kinds of things. And she, you know, look, she knows that I'm not. <laughs> she knows that that's not. Uh, that I don't go quite that far down the line there. Um, but you know what? I have a great relationship with her because she is basically a champion cow shower. She goes in and shows her dairy cows. Maybe they're dairy cows. I can't remember exactly. But she she goes to Texas and she goes all around. And, and I ask her about that stuff. I'm trying to learn. I don't know that world. Um, but I show an interest in it and it has led to a level of trust between us, even though in our culture right now, because she thinks this one way politically and maybe I don't as much, we're not supposed to trust each other. In fact, we're supposed to see each other as the enemy. But if you, if you seek out what their interests are, whether you're into dirt bike racing or NASCAR or whether you're into, you know, listening to. Hamilton or Phantom of the Opera or whatever it is, even if it has nothing to do with your interest at all, by getting into their lives uh, and their interests, it's it's going to be helpful. Attend when you can, you know. Attend when you can, but inquire always. Always ask about what's going on with them. 
which leads to the third part here, and that's the connections. Knowledge is critical, and it shouldn't be discounted. It shouldn't. The content is really important. They're building blocks. But the connections that you make, that's what are that's what's lasting. And and Patch Adams, uh, Robin Williams play in Patch Adams talks about transference and how wise you know, ask why is that such a, a terrible thing? What does he say? Uh, you know, you treat a disease, you win, you lose. You treat a person, I guarantee you will win. And I see that as a teacher. Get inside their stories, you know, where it's appropriate. But I'll tell you what, the stories of many of your kids, it's going to break your heart. Knowing their backstories, man, it'll draw the breath right out of you. Just like you were punched in the gut. So many of our kids have, man, I can't, it's just, it's tough. But as much as you can, find out who they are. Because you'll, you'll learn from them. I think I learned just as much from my students as they learned from me. It helps you gain perspective. It helps you gain empathy. You'll be drawn away from yourself as the center and find that, you know, we, we really do share a common humanity, even though we hide from it. I mean, we're quick enough to hide from ourselves how much more from each other, but learn from them. It's, it's liberating. And that common understanding, it'll help smooth over the, the pitfalls of the hyper-connectivity that we have, the, the hyper-connected but severely shallow culture that we're a part of. It'll help you and them to take a breath, even just for a second. And that breath is life. Beyond the kids, you know, find what Ron Swanson would call some workplace proximity associates. You know, some work friends. Don't be toxic or be around those people that are. They're going to be there. They're going to be the people that are always angry or upset about something. Look, complaining is part of it. It's human. Complaining about how things went one day or what this person said or what the principal did or didn't do, whatever. That's fine. Complain some, but don't let it drive you. Find the people, the, the, the colleagues, you know, find your, your, your teacher friends that'll leave you notes, you know, quotes for you and discuss weird ideas, whether uh, like whether winning and losing are one or whether winning and losing is one or to tell you what to read next. The ones that know your inside jokes and talk to you about the Braves or whatever sports they're on or the latest TV show or, you know, the ones that help you to remember who you are. And develop relationships with the custodial staff and the office folks and the support staff. They're so vital to what's going on. They're so vital to the culture of the entire school. And when it all seems frustrating and maybe you get caught up in feeling like you're not appreciated Practice what Freud called sublimation. Take those those negative thoughts and turn them into something positive. You know, if you feel like you're not receiving encouragement, write some notes of encouragement and leave them in teachers' boxes. Practice the kindness that you feel like you should be receiving. And as the writer in Ecclesiastes says, your bread will return to you. I promise it works every time. In closing, my principal this year said, you know, once during a teacher uh during a faculty meeting, he said, you know, what we do is too important. And I honestly don't remember the end of that phrase, but I wrote that phrase down. What we do is too important. Um, dot, dot, dot. And I put it up in my room because what we do is plant sequoias. 
what we do is invest in these kids. We invest in the millennium. What we do is so valuable, whether we get recognized, whether we recognize it or not, it is. There should be a pride, you know, there should be a pride in your work. Just like when you complete a solid essay or construct that first birdhouse, you know, or use a router to write your name on a block of wood. There's pride and effort and excellence. I'm not really a fan of grades. I don't really use grades. Perhaps I shouldn't admit that, but I don't really think grades are a good thing. I think we've done a huge disservice to our students, a huge disservice to learning by replacing the wonder of learning with extrinsic gauges. Like when you're a kid, you're like, why is this? And why is that? And kids are learning stuff. And it's just this, this awe about it, this, this joy. And then we, we begin to pound it out of them by, by saying, you've got to do this to, to get this mark or this sticker or this grade or this score. I get it. I get it. Competition is fine. Competition is, is something I've been thinking about. But how do we get back to just the, the joy of learning? Learning for learning's sake. Because it's learning. You know, Learning makes us more fully human. It really does. It does. This profession, my boy, like most professions, is not for everyone. For the teachers that become masters, that become master teachers, educating, it becomes a significant part of your identity. Look, some teachers can come to work each day, do a solid job, and that's commendable. But when it becomes a part of your identity, then that translates into ways you can't even imagine. It makes it easier and easier to serve without having to let your left hand know what your right hand is up to. And you become a model of that principle for your kids. And that's true education. And you'll know it's true when that kid you never thought you had connected with comes up to you at a game or in the store years later and and hollers out your name mr thomas and gives you that smooth fist bump that look that smile and that one moment will fuel fuel you it'll it'll energize you for another decade i'll close with this quote from wb yates that i have up in my classroom education is not the filling of a pail but the lighting of a fire So this episode is brought to you by the Church of Six, by the Bucket of Life, and by the Foundation Tower of Stone, which is now under construction. All of these you'll find out about in next week's episode, The Symbols and Practices of DT Madness. Until then, peace my friends.